I want you to take out your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew 28. We're going to be in what for many will be a very familiar passage today, but hopefully we're going to begin to see this in maybe a different light or you'll be challenged maybe in a way you haven't been for a while because today we're starting a sermon series entitled uh, The Journey, all right? And so what we want to do is invite our church family to join us on a journey. Now, maybe some of you hear that and you get excited because you love journeys. I mean, you take a journey maybe every year and that journey for you, maybe it ends up out down at Disney World and you say, oh, I love taking that journey, right? Or some say, well, I take a journey and my journey ends up at a national park where we're going to take some hikes and we're going to see beautiful senior. And you say, man, I love to take journeys. Now, I'm sure taking a journey means different things to different people, but you at least understand the concept of taking a journey. You know that, again, there's an ultimate destination, but you also understand that there's a process in getting to that destination as well as some other important aspects. And maybe when you think about journey, you even think about the words that have been attributed to Ralph Waldo Emerson who said this, it's not the destination, it's the journey, all right? Y'all have probably heard that before, right? Well, those words recognize that there are important aspects of a journey besides the destination, though I'm going to say this to you this morning. Where you end up is very important, okay? The destination today is important because you want to end up in the right place. In fact, as we begin our journey today, the place that we're going to start is talking about the destination. Where do we want to end up? Now, I know that I don't want our church to end up in the wrong place. And most importantly, I don't want our people to end up in the wrong place. And so let's consider today as a church and even individuals, what is our destination? Where should we be hoping to go? As we ask the question, let's first consider what some are the typical destinations that churches and Christians get to. For some churches, the destination seems to be simply wanting to be bigger and better. The destination is how can we get to a place of building a bigger building? Now, obviously, they don't say that's the destination, but when success is seemingly judged by how big your building is or what is the size of your church attendance, then the size of the church has become the destination. You have arrived when you are big. For others, the destination is a matter of busyness. If the calendar is full, if there are many activities going on, then you have arrived. If mission trips are happening and ministry involvement is taking place, the kids and student ministries are going to camps, having fun together, doing different things, then all is well. You have arrived. Now, I know this doesn't fully describe what people see as the destination in church, but I hope you get the point. People in the church consciously or subconsciously have these markers that indicate whether they have arrived, but are they right? Are these the indicators that as Christians and as a church, we have made it to our destination? Well, to answer that question, we need to make sure we're letting the right person answer the question. In fact, let me ask you this. Am I the one to answer that question? Say no. All right. Are you the one to answer this question? No. Well, who determines in our destination? If, if I don't determine the destination and you don't determine the destination, then who is it that determines the destination? Well, let's look at the words of Matthew 28, 18. These are the words of Jesus, and this is what he said. He said, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, the verses we're going to look at today, this is the verse that is probably the most ignored and yet has so much importance. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given 
to me. Now think about that statement for a moment. What does it mean to us if Jesus has all authority? Now, I know there's times when we read the Bible and we can wonder, what does that text mean? But this is not one of those places. It's as clear as it gets. Jesus has all authority. Well, we can ask a follow-up question, which is, then what does it mean to me that Jesus has all authority, which I believe should just be just as clear as well, because the person in authority has the right to do what? Huh? Yeah. And to tell you what? What to do, right? The, the one in authority has the right to kind of tell you what you are to do. Some say, was that right? Well, think about it. Most every one of you here today live under authority, do you not? Many of you go to work, and where you go to work, you have a boss, someone who's in your authority. It could be a supervisor. It could be the boss. Now, I know some of you, you have the privilege of being the boss, right? So you're the authority, but most of us live under authority. In other words, there's somebody above us who tells us what to do. And here's what you know. You better listen to what the authority says. Because if you don't do what the one in the authority says, what will that mean for you? Trouble, right? Yeah. You can get in trouble. In fact, it can mean this. Ultimately, it means you could lose your job, right? Because you have to listen to the authority. Well, therefore, as Christians and as a church, we need to remember Jesus has all authority, which means he is our authority. So if he says there is something we should do, right, the debate is over. We don't have the right to look at Jesus and say, well, I hear what you say, but I think I've got a better plan. We don't have the right to look at Jesus and say, I hear what you say, but I'm not going to do it. You see, it doesn't work that way. When Jesus gives the plan, we should all say, I'm ready to follow. I'm ready to do what you say. Well, now, if you, some of you say, well, I, I don't know, Brother Scott. Well, if you doubt Jesus' authority, here's my challenge to you. Do this. Read the Scriptures. For when you read the Scriptures, you'll see that Jesus has authority. In fact, read specifically the Gospel of Mark because Jesus' authority is often put at the forefront. In Mark 1.22, we read about Jesus' authority as a teacher. It says there, as they, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes, all right? Listen, more than the religious leaders who had the authority, it was Jesus. And so when he spoke, people listened because they recognized something. This man speaks with authority. Later on in Mark, we go specifically that Jesus has other authority because it's not just the authority of teaching. He has the authority over sickness because in Mark 1.30 it says, Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. You see, having this sickness leave Simon's mother-in-law body truly demonstrated an amazing authority that Jesus has. All right? Catch this. So it didn't even end there. Because a few verses later, he demonstrated not only does he have authority over nature, including our bodies, he has the authority over demons. Because in Mark 1.34, it says, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. You see, Jesus even had authority over demons. After a short time after this, Jesus acted in a way that the religious leader didn't like, for he seemed to be breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus said this to them in Mark 2, 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. 
I could go on this morning and show you many passages that state or demonstrate Jesus' authority. But for time's sake this morning, just know that Jesus has ultimate authority. All authority in heaven and on earth is His. And so after Jesus states this fact in verse 18, verse 19 starts with these words. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. You know, the therefore in this verse hinges on what Jesus has just said about all authority, all right? And so here's what we must do. We must listen. Because he has all authority, we should do, therefore, what he says to do. There's not going to be any debate about what our priority needs to be. Jesus tells us, and we need to listen. And so we ask, what is our destination? What is the goal of all that we are to do? Where do we want to end up? Well, Jesus made our goal very clear. He made our destination clear. The goal is this. It's making disciples. All right? Our goal is not bigger buildings. Our goal is not larger budgets. Our goal is not more bodies in the seats. Our goal must be making disciples. If we make disciples, some of those things may happen, but they cannot be the goal. I don't remember who said it, but recently I read where someone said this, you can build a church and not necessarily make disciples, but if you make disciples, you will always build the church. You see, God's desire for us is to help people to truly follow him. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus with his or her life. It is more than someone who is just involved in religious activity. It is more than someone who just claims a faith in Jesus. A disciple is someone who has a life that has been transformed by Jesus and then is living in that relationship daily with Jesus Christ. Now, if we ask for some more detail about what this destination looks like, uh, let's just look at our text for today and walk through it because we can get an idea of what a disciple looks like, but we can also see how we're going to end up in the right place. How do we get to this destination? Look again at the first part of Matthew 28, 19. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. If we're going to end up at the right destination, the first step is going. Right? Let me ask you, should it make sense to us that if we're going to get somewhere, we have to go? Right? I mean, you can't get anywhere unless you first start to go. But let's take a moment to understand what Jesus said, because I believe even in the church, we've made a bad practice of something. Some even know better, but we still operate wrongly. What we often do in the church is read these words of Jesus and hear him say, go make disciples of all nations and believe that these words are meant only for people who experience a call to missions who then go to some foreign land and share Jesus Christ. Now, is that included in what Jesus said? Absolutely, clearly. Some people have a clear sense that God is sending them to a people who do not have the opportunity to hear about Jesus like we do. And so they accept the call and they give their lives to going and living in a foreign land in order to help people know Jesus. The problem, though, is when we see that that is all Jesus' words means here, that that is all he is saying, because Jesus has said so much more. He had so much more in mind than just that single focus of missionaries going overseas. For God's call It's for all of us to go and make disciples. Some people have made a big deal to say that you can translate the word go here as, as you are going. Now, that's true. If you read the original language, you can translate that as you are going, make disciples. And then they point how we are to make disciples as we go through life, wherever that may be. And again, that is true as long as you don't miss something. 
as long as you don't miss the imperative quality of that word. And you know what an imperative is, right? I've shared it with you before, but if not, let me share it with you again. An imperative is a command. In other words, it's something we are commanded to do. Therefore, we cannot read this as a casual, as you are going through life, make disciples. But we must instead read this as something that we must be active and doing. To go is a command we must follow. Going might mean that many of the people that you reach are the people that you naturally come into contact with as you're going through life. That's true. But at the same time, we have to be actively seeking to help people come to know Jesus. It may mean you make a point to walk across the street to a neighbor and build a friendship so that you have an opportunity to share Jesus. It might mean that you take extra time with the coworker so you build that relationship that allows you to share Jesus. But it is truly about living life with a mindset that says every day I am on mission for Jesus, that every day I am seeking to be aware of those I meet who need me to share the love of Jesus with them and then you sharing it with them. It is really the call for Christians to be on missions every day wherever you go. As I studied this week, I came across a quote that reminded me of how important the challenge to to go make disciples for the church is. The quote was from E. Schweitzer, who wrote in an article entitled The Church as the Missionary Body of Christ. He wrote these words. He said, the life and death of a church depends on how much its members are willing to proclaim the gospel to the world. If its ministers are satisfied merely with performing their functions and counseling religious people... If its members confess their faith as far as it is socially acceptable, the church will grow more and more into a sterile institution that is far from the living church of the New Testament. Now, he wrote those words back in 1961. And maybe the church as a whole has unfortunately become the sterile institution that he warned about. Why? Because we have become satisfied living in a way that checks off what we believe are the religious requirements that God requires and then failing to make a true difference in the world for Jesus Christ. What I know is we have, all, we have to take up this challenge of going and making disciples if we're going to be the church that God desires. Being religious should never be our goal. Making genuine disciples should. Now, once you take the challenge to go, you'll realize there are various parts involved in this journey as you go. To get to the destination we want, we have to realize that as we are going, we are also baptizing. All right, look at the next part of the text. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. See, there is no doubt that part of someone becoming a disciple is them being baptized. What is important about a person being baptized, you might ask? Well, a person is about, a baptism is about a person taking the first step and making a commitment to Jesus Christ. In fact, notice even clearly here that this just didn't say baptizing, but it said baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's important that we recognize these specifics here because genuine baptism involves making sure someone has understood the truth of who God is, all right, and and his working in their life. It's understanding the truth of the gospel and who Jesus Christ is and the truth of the work of the Holy Spirit in one's life. Baptism is not about a casual act or someone accepting a vague list of religious beliefs. It should be about someone truly understanding who God is and what he has done through Jesus to the point that that person has experienced a conviction by the Holy Spirit that has led to that person confessing their sin and committing his or her life to Jesus Christ. You see, some people have went through the baptismal waters, 
because they see it as an act of washing their sins away without understanding that the water didn't save them or the water didn't clean them. But instead, it was the blood of Jesus that has made a new life possible. You see, that is the grace of God that is our hope and a, and, a, and a faith in Jesus that truly makes one righteous. You know, people have often went into the baptismal waters without understanding that baptism is truly about a commitment to live for Jesus for the rest of their life. In fact, this is made clear in Romans 6, 3, where it says, do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a what? Newness of life. You see, those verses make it clear that baptism is not just about a religious act, but it is instead a life-changing experience. It is an act that should identify us with Christ, but it should also be such a life commitment that once a person is baptized, life is lived differently because one is then living their life in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, there are some who even make the case that baptism isn't important for one to have faith. But here we see Jesus command one to be baptized. And you may ask, well, why did he command it? Well, let's just think about this on a practical level, because I believe this is true. I don't think there's a single person here this morning that would marry a person. If a person came to you and said, hey, I want to marry you, but I'm going to give you two conditions. We're not going to tell anybody we're married, and we're not going to wear wedding rings. Would you marry anybody under those conditions? I don't think anybody's going to say, oh, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I don't want anybody to know that I'm married. I don't want to wear. You're not going to do that. And why would you not marry somebody who came to you and said, I got those conditions? I'll marry you, but let's not tell anybody and let's not wear wedding rings. Why would you not marry them? Why? Because you know something, right? If that's the conditions, they're not really serious about being committed to you. They're not serious about the relationship, right? You know that to be true. Likewise, folks, a person who refuses to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit is a person who does not understand what it means to be committed to Jesus Christ. In fact, that is part why Jesus said this in Matthew 10. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. You see, baptism is a very important first step for a disciple because it is a public declaration of one's belief in who Jesus is and his or her intent to follow Jesus. Now, unfortunately, though, in most churches who do emphasize the importance of sharing your faith and helping people get baptized, baptism is often seen as the finish line, all right? That is a great tragedy as well, because baptism should never be seen as the finish line. Baptism should be seen as the starting line. Baptism is a mark that the journey has begun, but the journey is far from over. For if we're going to reach the destination of making disciples, it also includes teaching. Look, after Jesus said we're to go make disciples, baptizing them, he went on to say this in verse 28 teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. There it is plainly, right? Jesus, notice, said, baptism is followed with teaching. If you look closely at the word teaching in the original language, it is clear that teaching is something that's an ongoing process. Teaching is not something that you do for a moment and then it is over. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes investment. It is really an ongoing process. 
If most Christians are honest, we would have to confess that even if we have taken the time to help someone come to faith in Jesus and be baptized, we have often stopped once baptism has taken place. Have we not? Have we not? And let's go ahead and make this, that's wrong. All right, that is wrong. Let's think about it this way. You know, when we think about the creation of a life, what we know is this, is that beginning at conception and the moment that parents understand that they are, are expecting a child, there becomes a commitment in those parents' life to give birth to a healthy baby, right? Typically, y'all know this to be true. Many moms, when they realize they're pregnant, their lifestyle changes, at least for a season, all right, they might stop drinking some of the stuff that they were drinking because they're trying to avoid caffeine, right? So they don't want all that in their system. And they might change some of their foods. They're saying, I've got a life growing in me, so I need to eat some healthier food. They might even say, I need to make sure I get the proper exercise or get rest. Why? Because I want this baby in me to grow and to be healthy. And so I'm committed. And so I'm going to do what it takes to have a healthy child, right? I even mentioned not, not long ago how even fathers get in this way. There's not a lot they can do, right? But they at least, they're trying to help that mama do all, get, get healthy, right? They want to do everything they can to take care of them because they want a healthy child. So they'll do whatever it takes, all right? They even do like me, wash a few extra dishes, right? So honey, you go rest. I'll wash the dishes tonight, right? They'll do whatever it takes. Well, let's think about that. They, they do that, and so let's move forward to the, the day of birth. And so they've done everything they can to have a, a healthy baby, and so that baby is born. And so right after that baby is born, the parents then forget about the baby and move on with life as normal. No, right? That, that, that's not what they do. The baby's born, I've got to help, it's over? No, you know a parent, any good parent knows the moment that child is born, what? The work is just beginning, right? This is when the real work happens because now they prepared a lot to have this birth, but as much as they prepare to have a healthy birth, now they understand they're gonna have to spend much more time helping that baby grow to maturity, that they will spend much time taking care of that child's needs, including teaching that child how to be a mature adult someday. And so that child eventually lives on their own as a mature adult, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Well, let's remember if we use the words of Jesus, when someone truly takes and makes a life commitment to Jesus Christ, or when truly recognizes the spiritual deadness in his or her life and turns to Jesus by confessing their sin, trusting in Jesus as their Savior, and committing to live for him, that person, in the words of Jesus, experiences a spiritual, anybody know? Birth. As Jesus said in John 3, 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All right? With a spiritual birth that is symbolized through one's baptism, a person moves from death to life. That person begins to spiritually live. Therefore, it should make sense to us that just as we would not abandon a baby that has just come from the womb, we should not abandon a person who has spiritually just moved from death to life. It may take as much energy and time to help someone come to understand the truth of Jesus Christ so that they take the important step of baptism, but we need to understand that after baptism, we must begin the important step of investing and nurturing by teaching them, right? It's something that's very, very important. And what do we teach them? If you look at what Jesus said, part of what we teach is this. Look back at verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. What do we teach them? All that Jesus has commanded. Not some of what Jesus has commanded, but all that he has commanded. Now, you know some of what Jesus has commanded, right? Well, let me give you some examples. You know that Jesus said we're to, to love one another. 
That's a command. You all know that. You all know he's taught, love your neighbor as yourself. You all have heard that a bunch, right? Especially over the last nine months, haven't we talked about loving our neighbors? That's a command of Jesus. He told us to love our neighbors. He's told us to pray for our enemies. He's, he's commanded us to forgive. He's commanded us to repent. He's commanded us to seek first the kingdom of God. He's commanded us to take up our cross daily. If you've been in church all your life, you've heard some of what Jesus commanded. Maybe you've been in church long enough to hear all that he has commanded. But the goal that we must have with others is to invest in them enough to teach them all that Jesus has commanded, which makes sense to us, should make sense to us. If we're going to teach them all that he's commanded, it's not an easy or a quick process. It will truly take an investment. But let's be careful here as well, because if we're not focused, we can make our teaching of others simply an academic exercise. What I mean by that is we can teach people facts, we can teach people truths, and we can stop, but we shouldn't. See, clearly part of teaching involves us imparting information. It involves us getting into the Bible and discovering what are the commands of Jesus. What is it that God has taught us? What are his truths? And so we should pick up his word, and we've got to dig in. We've got to learn the facts. We've got to learn what it says, all right, which I should probably even say this. I should have mentioned it earlier. What we're trying to learn is not man-made laws. We are trying to learn what Jesus has commanded, what God has commanded. Because too often, even in the churches, you know what's been taught? The commandments of man, not the commandments of God. You know what that leads to? That leads to legalism. That's not where we want to end up, okay? We, we want to end up knowing what is it that, that God teaches, what is his, his commands, all right? But we can get to the point where we say, oh, I know all these things. I heard the fact. And we stop, but it's not just about knowing a list of commands or knowing that there's a step we have to take further. Because look back at verse 20 again. It says, teaching them to what? To observe all that I have commanded you. The words to observe are important for us to focus on. This verse is even a place where I like the way some other translations word this. If you are looking at either the New Living Translation or the NIV, they both say this. Teaching them to, anybody know? Obey, all right? Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. I like that translation better because it should be clear here that observe means actually doing something. It is obeying. You know, if I were to come to you and say this morning, we're not doing it this morning, but if I was to say, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper, you know what I mean by that, right? You, you, don't, you, you know it doesn't mean we're going to stare at elements that are sitting on a table or before us, right? We're going to do something. We're going to act. We're going to take these elements. There's an action that we do. We're going to obey what God has done and take those, those elements, right? You, you, you know that to be true because if you're not careful, here's what we can do with this word observe. We can take it as just meaning I'm watching something. I mean, my, my daughter Emily, she's student teaching right now. And so this past week, she had a university professor that, that observed her teaching. Well, in that moment, that professor wasn't helping her teach. That professor wasn't involved in that. That professor was observing her, all right? So sitting back, right, watching, okay? Well, here's what we know. That's not what God wants us to do. The word observe here means an ongoing participation in what Jesus has commanded. It truly means to obey. One Greek dictionary defines it as to persist in obedience, Therefore, what we are to do with new believers is to teach them to obey what God has commanded and to continually live in that obedience, to have obedience that is a lifestyle. Now, before moving on, let's ponder something. Is it easier to teach someone commands or to teach them to obey? 
Clearly easier to teach commands versus teaching obedience. One can simply be knowledge while the other is action. And we all know it is much easier to gain knowledge than it is for actions to change, right? We must note this because we have to understand that if we're going to take the journey that God wants us to take, and if we're going to end up at the destination of disciples as He desires, then we have to accept right up front that this is not going to be a quick or an easy journey, that this journey is going to take some effort. But if you will commit to taking this journey, what you will discover is that the destination is truly worth it as you get to participate in seeing lives changed. Now, we're going to be talking more in the weeks to come about what all this entails, but today I want you to understand the goal. And if we're going to end with disciples, we must be intentional about going to others and helping them come to a genuine commitment to Jesus Christ that results in them being baptized, but we also have to understand that we need to commit to teaching them how to obey all that Jesus has commanded. Now, with that said, I'm sure there's a thought that goes through some minds this morning where you're just a little bit overwhelmed. Does that sound a little intimidating? You don't have to raise your hand. I know there's many of you thinking back and say, oh, I hear, well, I don't know, bro. That's just so hard. That's just so intimidating for me to think about doing that. I, I, I get that. For most here this morning, even as I confessed last week, this is a new thing. You might have even known in your heart that making disciples is what needs to be done. But again, as I stated last week, you never experienced this personally, and so you don't know how to go about making disciples. That's okay. We will be helping you as we move forward. Hopefully, we will eliminate some of the fear for you and also some of the unknown because we plan to equip you for the task. But let's end today by looking at the last thing Jesus said here, which should be encouraging for everyone who is willing to obey God's command to make disciples, who are willing to say, I want to take this journey. Look at what Jesus said. I'm going to read both verses 19 and 20. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus gave here what should be a very reassuring promise. He will be with you always. In other words, as you seek to make disciples, you ready? You are never alone. Jesus is always there with you. He can guide you. He can strengthen you. He can empower you. It is why this morning as we think about getting to the right destination, there is going, there is baptizing, there is teaching, but there is also, you ready, there is walking. Okay? There is walking with Jesus. Even as I say that, it reminds me of two things. The destination of making disciples is ultimately about helping others walk in a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. Hear me. This journey, this destination is not about making people religious. It is not about having them assent to a follow and follow a belief system. It is not about having clones who look like you. It is, not, it is not about having more church members. It is about helping people personally walk with Jesus themselves. And this is so important to remember because you will not always be able to be with someone, but Jesus can. And so as you help someone walk with Jesus... You are helping them have a relationship that will strengthen them and sustain them all of their lives. Second thing I'm reminded of is this. You will never be able to make disciples unless you 
are personally walking with Jesus yourself. If you try to make disciples in your own power, it's not going to happen. If you try to make disciples without walking or Jesus walking with you, you'll not know where to go. You'll not know how to get where he wants you to go. But with Jesus walking with you, with Jesus teaching you, you can be amazed at how much the Lord can use you to reach others for him. If you walk with Jesus, you can say to others boldly, as the apostle Paul did in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me as I am Christ, all right? You can say that if you're walking with him. And as we close this morning, let me ask you, what is your destination this morning? What is your goal? Where are you headed in life? Well, I'd hope today you would say this, I want to end up making disciples. If that is so, commit now to joining us as a body of believers and making disciples a greater priority. Help us. We want to get there, right? We're not there. We're not where we need to be. But will you join us on this journey and saying, this is going to become a greater priority? But also, if that is where you are and you want to end up, consider right now, is there a course change in your life that's needed? This morning, do some of you just need to say today, I need to decide to go because I've not been going. I've been sitting. I've been watching. I've not been going. But today, I'm going to make my life a mission. I'm going to be every day about going out to this world, being sensitive to those who need Jesus. Or how about some of you? Do you need today to make a change and say, well, well, I need to be baptizing, which means this. All right, you've been friendly to people. You've been building relationships, but you've never taken the important step of helping say, Do you know who Jesus is? I want you to understand how much God loves you. I want you to understand what Jesus did for you. I want you to understand how the Holy Spirit can work in your life today because I want you to know his love. I want you to know his life changing, how he can change your life forever. And and, and I'm ready to share with you what Jesus did for you and how he can change your life. All right, you know what I'm saying? You've been friendly, you've built around, but you've never taken that step. Do some of you today need to be about baptizing? How about some of you? Does your step need to be teaching? In other words, you're good about sharing Jesus with people. In fact, maybe some of you today are personally responsible for people who've walked in those baptismal waters. But here's what you know you failed to do. You got them baptized, and then you said, who's the next person? And you didn't teach them. Do some of you need to say today, I need a course change. I need to be more about teaching. I need to help people not only get baptized, but I need to help them know the commands of Jesus. Or how about some of you today? Is it walking? Is it you even personally walking with Jesus Christ? Like I said, you're never going to do these things without that personal relationship. So maybe even for some of you today, here's the course change you need to do. Today, you need to say, I need to begin to walk with Jesus. Maybe it's this morning for you. You say, I've heard of, but I've never been baptized. Why not this morning? In just a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to have an invitation. And you can come and say, I've decided to follow Jesus. And today say, I'm ready to be baptized in his name. Come, we'll help you, all right? We'll help you get to those waters, all right? Or maybe you need to say, Lord, I was baptized, but I never grew in my faith. Maybe it's committing to a life group. Or maybe you're saying, as the church moves forward, you're gonna hear about D groups. You say, I wanna get involved because I need to be taught more of what it means to follow Jesus. Would you even come this morning and say, God, I wanna go deeper with you. I wanna, walk with, I wanna know more of you, God. Will you even bring a teacher into my life who will help me this morning? I I don't know what you need to do, but we're going to have this time of invitation. And I'm just asking you, if we're going to get to this destination of making disciples, is there a course change that need to be made? If so, would you make that course change this morning? Because here's what I know God's wondering. He's, He's wondering. He's wondering who this morning is willing to obey all that I have commanded, which again includes going 
and making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded, knowing that I am with you always. Will you accept that today? Let's pray together. Our Father, as we bow into your presence, I'm so thankful that you make some things very clear. And this morning, you've made it very clear the destination where you want us to get, the goal that you have for us in life of making disciples. And my prayer would be for me individually that you would speak to me and help me, Lord, fulfill this even better as, we, as I move forward in life. But, Father, also for us as a church, help us to take this challenge and help us, Father, to be on the journey that you desire for us and help us to truly reach this destination. Because I know, Father, as a believer and as a follower of you, there's nothing greater than having you in my life and allowing you, Lord, to guide me. And, Father, I want others to experience that same. And so help me, Father, today to come to know you and to walk in your ways. And, again, may we as a church take that challenge together. Father, we love you this morning. Again, speak to us during this invitation time. And we, may we make the necessary course changes today. As I pray these things, I pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.